Well, greetings in the Master's name. And David called me last evening and I started thinking, uh, you know, which direction do I want to go with the message today? Uh, I was thinking about preaching on the resurrection next Sunday. And uh, and then I thought, well, I could keep on in First John because I want to keep preaching through First John. And, uh, and then I really didn't think about being uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, I think one time I at least had a message related to that. I don't remember what it was, but so there have been different different things a person could have done. But I, I thought, well, I, I it, it won't hurt to have two sermons on the resurrection. That's such a key. I mean, that's that's such a this is the essence of Christianity. And so um, so that's what we want to do. Uh, Job, and actually it's Job 14, 14. I like some of those number of things. It's easy to remember. Job 14, 14. Job said. If a man die, shall he live again? If a man die, shall he live again? And that's a searching question. Um, it, it has to do with the essence of existence. If a man die, shall he live again? And uh, it, it almost seemed like not worth the trouble uh, just to do this. In other words, uh, to bring this thing here. But so here we are. Here's our life. Is that it? Is that it? That, that's what Job asked. If a man dies, shall he live again? Or, when he dies, is that it? And, uh, you know, Solomon, Solomon had a lot going. The wisest man that ever lived. He had cattle, had fruit trees. He had hard to tell what all he did. And he said, it's all empty. It's meaningless. What's the purpose? And that's a good question too. I mean, we, we live here, I mean, sometimes we... In this country, we think things aren't as good as they could be, but compared to a lot of places, uh, we're very blessed. And so we have all these things we can be doing, activities we can get ahead, we can build our estates, we can do this, we can do that. And the other thing, to what purpose? What purpose? In other words, <clears throat> is there any meaning in life if it stops here? And so, well, let's uh, let's turn to Job also, Job 19. And what Job has gone through, well, especially what Job has gone through, you know, all that, all that stuff. Why, why go through all this if, if uh, there's nothing more? But then we're familiar with these verses in Job 19. Verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And just, uh, you know, stop and think. 
about songs we sang, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and so on. Where do the where do the songwriters get their ideas? Well, obviously, that songwriter got his idea here. Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Now, Job, we don't know exactly what time frame he was in, but possibly the time of Abraham, very ancient uh, book. And, um, and God's revelation is progressive. And so... It it is it is um, a meaningful or what word do I want that even whatever state whatever whatever time frame whatever era even though God's God's uh, what what we understand about God's plan and purposes is far more than what Abraham would have understood or what Job would have understood but in any era man could have could could have a close relationship with God. In, in different than we have it, but but they could develop a relationship with God, and and Job uh, Job had a connection, and he said that he his redeemer is going to stand on the earth someday. That that that's amazing, say in two thousand years B.C., and he says though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And you see how much meaning there is in that. He says after I'm all eaten up by worms, in my flesh. I'm going to see God. That's a bodily resurrection. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold it not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And that verse I was trying to figure out, now just exactly what's that saying, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold it not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And so I, a couple other uh, translations. One had it, the New King James says it this way, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. That's what that phrase, my reins be consumed within me. And then the Bible in basic English said, whom I shall see on my side and not as one strange to me, my heart is broken with desire. Now, I didn't know that's what that phrase meant, but that, that adds meaning also. But I want to talk a little bit just about verse 26 because of something that happened within the last several months. Uh, an acquaintance of, of ours knew someone, an older lady, whose son actually died in her apartment. Uh, he had some health problems, and he went to lay down, and, and he passed away. And, um, and uh, it, it was a difficult time for her, and so our, this acquaintance of ours wanted us to go visit this lady, even though we didn't know her, and so we went to visit. And and um, one of her questions was that um, her son had requested to be cremated, and she didn't. That wasn't according to her way of thinking, uh, but she did, hardly knew what to do. Um, in other words, she wasn't really in for cremation, and yet that was his request. So does she honor his request, or does she go according to what she thinks is right? And she said the reason he wanted to be create, cremated is because he just really couldn't couldn't quite uh, uh, stomach the thought of worms eating him. Well, of course, nowadays we're embalmed, and so um, I don't know. Maybe it takes a while longer, but um, okay. So that's a little bit of a gruesome thought, maybe. But hey, it's a shell. It's a shell. It's not me. Uh, that's the way we know. We have our five senses. So that's the way we know people. But uh, 
Job said, after I'm all consumed by worms, in my flesh I will see God. That, that's amazing. The resurrection, the resurrection. He, he, he had a concept of the resurrection and it was meaningful to him. Well, a few other verses. Uh, I just wanted to pick out a few places here in the scriptures that talk about the resurrection. Uh, the psalmist said, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. And Daniel, let's turn to Daniel 12. We're familiar with these verses, but let's just turn and notice. Daniel 12, verses 2 and 3. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So there we have, uh, that's bringing a little bit more uh, definition to the resurrection because it says there's going to be two two paths or two results or whatever, some will be resurrected to everlasting life and some will be resurrected to shame and everlasting contempt. So that's quite um, a serious note there. And then uh, was it in John 5? I believe Jesus referred to that in John 5. Uh, yes, John 5, verse 28. Uh, Jesus is... Um, I think he's in dialogue with the Jews here. But in verse 28, he says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all, all, says all, that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So again, that's quite, quite serious. Uh, chapter 6, verse 44. Again, Jesus speaking to the Jews. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's kind of interesting those, how that's, those thoughts are coupled there, that God draws us to himself. We... we uh, We, res we respond to God's love. And, and, you know, sometimes people say, well, I'll, I'll come to the Lord sometime. Or I'll come to the Lord when I'm ready. And, you know, actually, we don't come to the Lord unless he calls us. Now, he calls, he calls everyone somewhere along the line, but not on our terms. On his terms. And, uh, but then Jesus coupled that with the Father draws us and he'll raise us up on the last day. So you have the resurrection right there too. Then uh, going on, uh, well, I want, to, uh, I want to get to the resurrection chapter, but uh, before we do that, in Acts, I mean, okay, so we're studying uh, today, suffering, the betrayal of Jesus, next Sunday, the resurrection. And that just changed the whole outlook, 
complexion of the disciples. Once that resurrection happened, I mean, they, well, you, you can kind of imagine what what they went through. Jesus dying and so on and being in the grave and and then them being all scared. You know, they were behind barred doors and here Jesus appears to them. I mean, they were set on fire. Well, especially after the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter chapter 2. It took that too, not just to their own on excitement, but the Holy Spirit came and they were on fire. And so in chapter 4 of Acts, as they spake unto the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them being grieved they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That was the heart of their message, the resurrection from the dead. I'm just thinking, when we talk to people, the good news, you know, the gospel, we share the gospel, we share the good news. That's God loves us. Um... There's forgiveness of sins called of Jesus' death on the cross, his shed blood. How much do we talk about the resurrection? I mean, that, that does make all the difference whether or, not, whether or not it stops here or whether it goes on. So I'm just thinking here. But that's what they were preaching. They were preaching through Jesus' resurrection of the dead. And then Apostle Paul, uh, and actually... Um, we, we know about that situation there on, on Mars Hill, too. In fact, uh, I suppose people go to the Holy Land. See, some went recently. Claire's went, and I think Jays are going pretty soon. And, uh, of course, this is in Greece, so I don't know uh, how much they that, that's included in the tours, but it's still there. Um, the Areopagus, uh, where the philosophers, the Greek philosophers, met to... to um, um, I guess figure out what's new. Um, and so when Apostle Paul came, it says in verse 18 of chapter 17, it says, um, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What would this babbler say? Others some. So that wasn't really a very good um, welcoming uh, committee. Uh, others, he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And then uh, at the end of that, uh, we have in verse 32, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. That's kind of a new idea to them. In fact, it was so new uh, and strange that some thought it was... Um, well, it was just uh, something to ridicule. And others said, well, we'd like to hear a little bit more about that. And then at least one of them says, uh, there were, so there were certain, there were certain ones that believed. It goes on to say there at the end of the chapter. Then in chapter 26, when, when uh, Paul's given his testimony before Agrippa, and Agrippa knew about, uh, he knew about Jewish history and teachings. And uh, Paul said to him in verse 8, he said, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Does that seem uh, preposterous that God would raise the dead? 
Uh, I mean, when we talk about resurrection, we, uh, what, it's just a fact of life to us. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe, do we even get excited about it? I mean, we've heard it ever since we could understand. But it's, a, it's an amazing thought. Amazing thought. And then uh, one more verse yet. 1 Corinthians 6.14 And God has both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Now, what chapter is called the resurrection chapter? First Corinthians 15. That's what I usually think of. And then after I was, uh, after I was, um, well, that, that's what the title in my Bible here, the resurrection of the dead. But then I was thinking, well, it could also be like Matthew 28 and the parallel passages, uh, the, uh, Jesus rising. But yeah, first Corinthians 15 is what I consider the resurrection chapter, Paul's teaching there on the resurrection. But then I was thinking about, I was looking at Matthew 28. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke, uh, see which one is it in Luke, uh, there at the end of the books. And uh, just glancing at those, it's, um, it's uh, Luke, Luke 24 and then John 20. And uh, just glancing at those chapters, I noticed in one, one of the Gospels, it says Mary went to the tomb. In another Gospel, it says, uh, it says uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and then in another gospel, it says uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. And then in another gospel, it says the women. So, uh, and and uh, the four gospels. See, what's the? I can't think of the word, the term, but it's kind of like a um, not a cladioscope. But anyway, you have these different different. Uh, uh, like different pieces of light shine on something, you get you get the whole picture, and so we just we get the whole thing there from the four different gospels and the, and the, the record of that that was interesting. But I want to I want to turn to First Corinthians fifteen this morning, and uh, and look here at a good part of this chapter, the resurrection from the dead, and so starting with the first verse. Uh, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So there you have, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, and we was talking about that in Sunday school class. How it's it's uh, it was all written ahead of time, and uh, and then it happened according to the way it was written. But he says, "I delivered to you first of all." That's the first thing he told him. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again, and then and then he gives all these evidences for the resurrection. And uh, there are people doesn't work. I mean, not everyone is open to it, but there are people who have, uh, you might say, well, no, actually some of them had a bias. Some of them went to the scriptures to, to, to convince themselves that there's nothing to it. 
just recently, I, was, I forget who it was, I was reading about someone who was a, um, I don't know if he's a lawyer or what his position was, someone who was used to analyzing cases, and he was going to satisfy himself that this was nothing but a fable. And as he read it and he searched it out, he was honest with himself, and he said, the evidence is there. It's, it's the evidence. That's what he was used to. He was used to looking at the evidence. And he said, the evidence is there. And he became a believer. And, it's, and that's happened to more than one person in history who, who was going to, some of them were going to study the scripture to debunk these religious nuts. And they became Christians when they were honest with the data, when they were honest with the record. And so Apostle Paul is saying, um, okay, he was seen first by Peter, and then he was seen by the twelve. And then he was seen by over 500. And he said, most of them are still living. He says, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some are falling asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me on the, on the road to Damascus. As one born out of due time, he says, for I'm the least of the apostles that are not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was displayed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. So Paul's getting a little bit of his testimony there. It's kind of interesting. He says, you know, I, I worked harder than all these others I mentioned. I don't know. Do you ever feel that way? Um, <laughs> you know, you look around your brothers and sisters, I don't know. I, we probably shouldn't feel that way. That uh, I'm doing more than all the rest of them. But uh, but we we can see in the scriptures that Paul was very very zealous and very active. But he says uh, um, it was just God working in him. So now he goes on in verse twelve. If Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Evidently there were people that were saying, yeah, Christ rose from the dead, but for the rest of us, it's it's uh, really nothing. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. So Paul here, he's getting, he's using his logic here now. He says, you know, it can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't have Christ rose from the dead, but we don't. He says, if we don't, then Christ didn't. And, uh, and he said, if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is vain. And we're found false witnesses because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. So he's saying, Paul is saying, you know, if it stops here, I'm a, I'm a liar. Life is meaningless. What's the point? And there's no hope for you. You're yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most measurable. Now why is that? You might, you might think on that a little bit. I'm not sure I'm going to answer that question. Why, if we have hope in Christ in this life only, are we most miserable? I mean, wouldn't a person be better off to have hope, hope in Christ and you... you um, you live according to that, and it's meaningful to you, and you get to the end, and that's it. I mean, if, if you get to the end and that's it, you don't know anything anyway. 
So why wouldn't it be better to live for Christ? But Paul says, well, you know what? For us, maybe, uh, life's pretty comfortable. So we can go through life, you know, enjoying all the blessings of life and, you know, have this hope too and so on. But what about people that, that suffer miserably all through life hoping? You know, they, they, they suffer for Christ because they believe in him. And then they come to the end and there's nothing to it. That'd be kind of, that, that, that would be kind of a, a pointless way to live. Well, I shouldn't even maybe go there, but he says, if we only have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. If in this life only we have hope in Christ. In other words, the whole point is it doesn't end here. And so it makes life meaningful, but it also, you know, <clears throat> of course, in math, you know how it is in math. This is just a line segment, very short piece. And a line goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And so it, you can make this as small a piece as you want to, and it's not, still not small enough compared to eternity. And so it's kind of like this little piece of life determines... Eternity. It doesn't. I don't know. It, it seems it seems kind of mismatched, actually. Just this little, little, little speck determines all of eternity. But that's the way it is. I mean, I guess ninety years doesn't seem like a small speck, but compared to eternity, it is. But this life, this is life, and it doesn't end here, but what transpires in this life determines everything else. But we have hope. We have hope because of the resurrection. So it, it goes on. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He's the first one. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And Romans talks about that, and so getting into theology there. But in Adam, God told Adam, the soul that sinneth it shall die. And so Adam fell. We all come into the world with a tendency to sin, and we all do sin. But Jesus came to give life. And I didn't look up that verse, but it says in Romans, how much better what Christ has to offer and what we, what we gain in Christ is so much more than what we lost in Adam. That's what it says in Romans. Um, so we can be, we're made alive in Christ. Now let's go over towards the end of the chapter and Paul uh, continuing here with the thought, the meaning of the resurrection. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment. In a twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And that's talking about the bodily resurrection. 
you know, the state, the state of the soul between now and then, between death and the bodily resurrection, uh, you know, where, where is the soul and, and all that? Well, we think, we understand that we're with Christ, the soul, but the body has not yet been resurrected, the bodily resurrection. So maybe some of that is a little bit of a mystery. But when Jesus returns, Thessalonians talks about that, the body will, will, will be, those bodies will, it doesn't matter if it's eaten by worms, it doesn't matter if it's ashes, it doesn't matter if it's scattered over the sea, those bodies are going to come forth. Something's going to come forth, it's going to be a changed body, and it says it's, it, it's not going to be corruptible anymore. Um, it's not going to be mortal anymore, so it's going to be different. We cannot know how it's going to be different. It's just beyond us. But it's going to be incorruptible. It's going to be immortal. And so death is swallowed up in victory. And that is... Um, death, see, does it say it here? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where... This often read at funerals. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is all. It doesn't say it. I was looking for the words. Death is the last enemy. Death is the last enemy. And it's conquered. Where is death is swallowed up in victory through the resurrection of Christ. So, Easter, Christmas, the birth of Christ, God coming into the world in human flesh, that, that's, that's a mystery. So that's important. But the death and the resurrection, that, that's, that's, um, that, that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate. So, O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what about all that? It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You ever get weary? You ever get weary? You ever wonder what's the, what's the point of it all? We know that life is purposeful. We know that life is meaningful. And so we're steadfast. We're unmovable. The uh, 20th century New Testament said it this way. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, unshaken, always diligent in the Lord's work, for you know that in union with him your toil is not in vain. And there are other passages we could look at, but I think maybe I'll stop there with maybe one more verse, passage. Like in Ephesians 1, when Paul prays for the Ephesians, he says, I want, I'm praying that you'll understand, you'll grasp the power of the resurrection, the power that's working in you, the power of Christ that's available to you, the inheritance that's yours because of the resurrection. 
And then 2 Corinthians 4, all the way through chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about discouragement. He talks about being knocked down. He talks about all his troubles. He said, this is, this is just a light affliction in light of what we have to look forward to. It's because, so the resurrection, how central that is to who we are and what, what life is for us. Just uh, close here with these verses in 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who with his ample mercy has given us new birth into a life of hope due to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, a birth into an immortal, unsullied, and unfading inheritance that is kept safely in heaven for you. You just can't top that. Let's uh, kneel for prayer.